Hi guys, welcome back to the You Don't Wanna Know podcast with me, Mag. So welcome back to part two of Jessica's story. Thanks for being here. Once again, um, if you haven't heard part one, I guess this isn't once again because this is the first time I'm saying it, but if you haven't heard part one, definitely stop and go listen to that so you can understand what I'm about to talk about. So I made a boo-boo, guys. Um, I was supposed to post that episode that posted this morning last Monday because I was so pumped. I was finally getting back into the swing of things. So unfortunately, you guys had to wait three weeks for an episode, so so sorry. But you're getting two episodes this week. So um, very exciting for you. Uh, this is actually okay. So that's my birthday week. So um, this is my birthday gift to you, even though it's not your birthday. So you're welcome. Um, if you want to see pictures on the case, you can go on to YDWK podcast on Instagram or you don't want to know on Facebook. And then the email is YDWK podcast on at gmail.com. Sorry. I'm out of whack, but what's new? <laughs> Honestly, quick. I just want to jump into the case as quick as I can. So um, first things first movie, I watched Peppermint, which has Jennifer Aniston, I think. No, one of the Jennifers. I feel like there are a lot of famous Jennifers in this world. And it's one of those. She's in 30 going on 13. Nope. 13 going on 30. Wow, guys. I'm going to take a breath really quick. Sorry about that. Okay. I'm okay. I'm here with you guys. I'm good. I'm present and I'm ready to talk. Okay. So crazy story. I think if I heard correctly, it was based off of a show on a TV network. <laughs> but basically what happens is Jennifer Lawrence. Oh my gosh. It's not Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer. She has a family and they get murdered and she gets labeled as crazy and has to run away to Mexico and she comes back seeking vengeance, but she's like super buff and ready to kick some butt. Very good. Very action-y. If you don't like action or like, it's not like gory, but it's got some blood in it. Don't watch it. But I think it was really good. I really liked it. Very intense. And Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Aniston, my goodness, stop. <laughs> Jennifer. And looked really good in it. Very toned, very muscular. So I love it when they have this BA woman do the role, but she's not like a skinny little girl. She actually seems like she could do the role she's in. So that's why I really like Superwoman too. Or Supergirl? I don't know. Okay, now on to the calendar. We got another Bog Bodies, guys. I should just, let me, hold on. We're gonna, Bog Body, Bog Body. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we have um, three more bog bodies to go. So you have that to look forward to. So this is the Toland, Toland Man. There's a part something, but I don't know Roman numerals. I don't know if that's a bad thing. So in 1950, Toland Man was found so perfectly preserved that the Danish bog, uh, in the Danish bog, that the peat cutters who happened upon him fled and reported to authorities that they had discovered a recently homicide... Had a, <laughs> deep breath, uh, had discovered a recent homicide victim. Actually, he had been killed between 375 and 210 uh, BC. The archaeologist who examined the man first observed the peaceful expression on his face before noticing the noose around his neck. 
radiographers found that his tongue was distended and indicating that he had been hanged. The 40-year-old man had been laid to rest in the bog with great care, suggesting that he may have been a ritual sacrifice to appease the gods in the change for exchange for a plentiful harvest. Creation was common in the Danish uh, burial custom at the time that he died, but the Toland man may have been an been interred in the bog to provide the gods with a whole and functioning servant. So there's your information. Another interesting one. Here we go, guys. Ready? So good. Love it. Satisfied. All right. Look forward to the next two bog men and then say goodbye because the next one will not be a bog. We got no more bog bodies, guys. All right. Um, so I talked about the movie. I got that done. Check, check. Now we are on to the case of Jessica. Jessica Boynton. So the last time we talked about her, the she had sent some text messages to Matthew, her husband, and they were kind of suggesting that she was going to commit suicide. So Matthew went over and um, he went in couldn't get to his guns we ran out grabbed his walkie for the police and then the police got there and he was freaking out and they found her in the closet with a huge amount of blood all over her they took her to the hospital and they realized that there was no bullet wound at all but there were two bullet holes in the wall so they were really confused by that she was put into a coma because she had severe brain swelling which i don't think i mentioned but here i am mentioning it and three weeks later she woke up she was very insistent that she did not and she would not hurt herself. She had no suicidal tendencies and she was just very confused. But one thing was for certain, she did not kill herself. So she thinks, like I said, that Matthew may have attacked her and she has a theory behind it. So she thinks that maybe he got upset with her and maybe he found her journal and that she had been documenting the dirty divorce diary, as they say, and maybe that's what set him off. But she eventually got shown those text messages, and she said that she did not send those text messages. And those are things that she would not say, especially that she loves him because she did not love him at that point. Jessica thinks that because Matthew was a cop, things didn't get done correctly. And that's why there are so many questions on this case. And if you look into like the Kurt Cobain case, you'll see that when cops think it's suicide, they skip some steps. And I shouldn't say cops. Sometimes some people will st skip steps if they think something is a certain way. But I have learned over the years that there are procedures in place. And even if you know something is going to go perfectly, do all the steps. This is a general life lesson for you guys. This is my advice. Whether it's investigating a homicide that you think is a suicide or hiring someone for a job or walking a dog, if there are steps in place, just follow those steps. It'll seem stupid, but in some cases it'll seem stupid. Not every case. But trust me, just follow the steps. Don't skip steps. Never. You'll end up with a wobbly chair. <laughs> so weirdly, the final report 
for or the report during um, the Jer- Georgia's Bureau investigation declares Jessica dead from suicide. And Jessica finds this weird. I don't know why, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So the final report literally says that Jessica died from suicide. So that was kind of odd. But luckily, the case was not closed yet. So she could still intervene and say, hey, I'm not a ghost. I'm right here. Hello. And I'm waving at the wall because I'm crazy, but that's fine. Okay. So there was nothing, not an interview or anything with Jessica done for the report or anything like that, which was kind of weird, but they thought she was dead. So I guess it kind of makes sense. But there was nothing about the interview that they had with Dr. King, who was the surgeon that worked on and with Jessica. There was an interview, though, but the recorder did not have any batteries in it, conveniently. So Dr. King was saying that there was no gunshot wound to Jessica, as we already know. However, there was a wound on the top of her head, which was very suspect, because it is very hard to harm your own self at the top of your head. Whether it's a gunshot, which is what they were saying it was, or at least that's what the police were saying it was, or even just like hitting yourself on the head, on the top of the head. It's very hard to get enough force because you really just have your forearm as I'm hitting myself in the head to prove my point. Gosh, I'm so glad there's no cameras here. Okay. Um, and also, there was no blood on the walls. So that rules out Jessica hitting her head on the wall because there was, like I said in the beginning, only blood on the pillow. So it just, it doesn't make sense. Dr. King was also wondering why there was no gunshot residue test been done for either Jessica or Matthew. But once Dr. King realized that Matthew was a cop and his grandpa was a sheriff, he had no more questions. He wasn't confused anymore. And I won't say why, but I, I'm going to let you guys figure out why he had no more questions. So this is where things, like, it just, it gets worse and worse. And this case is so frustrating, guys. Grab a stress ball for me. I didn't grab one, but you're going to need one for this episode. So Jessica wakes up and she talks about all this stuff. And eventually she actually has a psych evaluation done. Two psych evaluations where she comes out completely not suicidal, completely fine. And they actually note how loving and how much she loved her kids how excited she was and how much she asked about them. But the event of that night still gets labeled a suicide, which is incredibly frustrating. Her family comes to visit her and actually her aunt Kathy specifically comes and notes that she has a very odd C-shaped bruise on the top of her head. And no one really ever mentions this in any of the reports. But after a month, Jessica gets to go home Um, And it's kind of unfortunate that she gets to go home because she actually should have gone to physical therapy, but she didn't have insurance, uh, physical therapy rehab, but she didn't have insurance. um, So she just had to go home and she suffered from a limp and struggled with headaches, short term memory loss, a ringing in her her ear and numbness on the left side of her body. So it's very unfortunate she had to go through that because she didn't have good insurance. But unfortunately, this is America, as Childish Gambino, who looks a lot like Donald Glover, likes to say. That's your joke of the day, guys. You're welcome. Very poorly placed. I apologize for that. But Jessica's home with her family, so that's great. 
not so great is the next information I'm going to give you. So three days, three whole days after she gets out of the hospital, she is served with a family protective order saying that she could not go within 300 yards of Matthew or her boys because she allegedly tried to commit suicide. So at this point, everyone's just extremely frustrated with the circumstances. Nothing seems fair. Nothing seems like it's going the way it should be. And they just don't know what to do. Until a truck driver gets very curious. Whom might that truck driver be? None other than William Will Sanders, a truck driver who is also a former Republican, or yeah, the son of a former Republican representative. And he has a very interesting hobby that he likes to do. And that is look into odd or shady police reports or police investigations. And he doesn't do this as like a way to like put his foot in the door or whatever. He likes the psychological aspect of it. And he actually like goes through old police reports and facts, facts check. Wow. I'm so sorry. Fact checks them. I think that was just a hard thing to say. Try and say it three times fast and tell me if you can do it and that I just can't talk. (laughs) So he says, I chase down people who are doing things they shouldn't be. He is like a superhero. He's like Batman, guys. He literally is like Batman because he doesn't want any credit for it. It's so cool. So you go, William, Will, Will Sanders. Okay, yeah, I think it's just me. So like I said, he pl- he studied... <laughs> Help me. I can't talk. He studies police records that might have been missed, like things that might have been missed, or covered up shady business. And that's when he came across Jessica's face. Case. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> and I need some serious help. He came across Jessica's case and he got sucked in right away. He dove in head first, face first, one might say, and collected all the evidence that he could. And from his investigation, he says that Matthew's accounts of the events are not correct. He is very smart and does not say anything like very like, uh, like, oh, Matthew's guilty. He never says anything like that. He just says that Matthew's accounts of evidence are not correct or of events are not correct. First thing he says is that Matthew was wearing a red sweater when the police came to his house. But when he was in Walmart, he was wearing a gray sweater. He never talks about changing and he never is asked about this. So in the Walmart footage, he's wearing a gray sweatshirt in the police body cam and at the in the interrogation room, he is wearing a red sweatshirt. So that's interesting. Will finds also that Matthew's phone record says that he was texting Courtney mistress the 911 operator right after he got those text messages from jessica and right before he calls 911 and in those messages he says lol and haha like i think it was like lol that's my bad i misunderstood haha or something like that so he really wasn't that worried with that casual of a text 
Very clear. He also points out that Matthew's phone is in the kitchen on the table. And this one was a little confusing to me. I didn't really follow why this was um, like an event that didn't jive with his story. Maybe because it wasn't like on the way to what he was saying he was doing. That's my only guess. But he points this out and says that um, he must have re-entered the apartment for some reason. So that didn't really make sense to me, but we're going to move on. If it makes sense to you, let me know why it does, because I didn't follow. Our, um, one of the neighbors also said, oh, excuse me, I missed one. So both Jessica's neighbors say that they heard gunshots around 11 p.m., um, one of the neighbors said that they actually heard banging on the doors afterwards, and then they said that they saw Matthew leaving after that. But Matthew says that he heard the gunshots at 1 a.m. and then called. So it doesn't really match up. And two of the neighbors accounted for the gunshots at 11 uh, p.m., but only one of the neighbors said that they saw uh, Matthew leave and the banging on the door. So Will keeps in touch with Jessica's family because he really wants to help her find what she's looking for because this case, these stories, what's going on, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. And he wants to help. This is what he's here for. Like he tries to help people that don't even realize they need help. So he keeps in touch and he actually opens up the eyes of Martha, who, if you don't remember, is Jessica's grandma. She always believed in the system and she said that she would fight tooth and nail for the system if anyone like challenged challenged its like reputation or something. But it was really it's a really sad thing because um she realized that it's like even though they're in a position where they're supposed to be honest, sometimes that just doesn't happen and people weasel their way into these positions and just aren't good people. And it's also very sad because Martha and her husband were extremely good friends with and had known um, Sheriff Wendell Beam for a very long time. And they would have never expected him to basically treat this case the way he did. And they had a lot of trust in him, which is obviously completely gone. So this investigation actually opened up a lot of people's eyes to some pretty horrible things. Horrible things, I should say. So get ready, guys. This is like a case within a case. There were countless, countless, countless reports of sexual harassment that were going, that were basically being swept under the rug in this um, department. Beam was very much known to be like relaxed and kind of let things slide, kind of keeping it cool. And one officer... Officer Gibson, David Gibson, David Gibson, if you feel like contacting him, I, I wouldn't, but he's just a horrible person. Um, and it, he has been charged, so I can say that. He has had so many complaints, so many complaints over the years. And finally, one officer took charge and went further beyond the sheriff to get some help. Because it has been horrible. And an investigation was done. Um, and he was labeled a predator. And people were wondering why Beam had let things go so long. So the reports, just to name a few. I don't really want to go into detail. Because it's just horrible. But, um, and this is going to be 
pretty gruesome, like pretty rough, like sexual harassment, like sexual assault. So get ready for that. If you don't want to hear this, probably skip for 30 seconds. But he um, hit the back of, uh, of the head of a secretary. He um, handcuffed someone, uh, put them over the hood of his truck and sexually assaulted them. Um, he had said, um, close your penis, another word for penis garage or penis holder, I think he said specifically, um, and just all these things. And I don't remember exactly what it was, exactly all the things, because there were just so many guys, so many people reported this guy that I can't remember every single thing and nothing was ever done. But they found him to be a predator and that the uh, the accusations were legitimate. And you know what Beam did? You know what he did, guys? Can you guess? So he never did a single thing when it was happening. And then when he it was found that those charges had some standing to them he let him retire early so he got to keep his pension and you know how that happened oh my gosh guys this is gonna i'm just so heated right now he had the lady he smacked in the back of the head type up his resignation and she said it felt like being someone spitting in her face that just made me so upset. I And I just can't even imagine what it would be like for those women. It's so horrible. So I'm sorry, but that had to be said. And because of Jessica's case, all this stuff came to light. Thank God. And something started to be done about it, even though it doesn't feel like much. At least he's not in the force anymore. So in June of that year, Matthew went to court. And he asked that the protective order be extended. And I'm going to read a lot of, of quotes from this case, from this court case. So here we go. Let's get to it. So like I said, Matthew says that he wants the protective order to be extended for a whole year. And he says, and I quote, somebody that shoots themselves in the head means business. If she is capable of attempting to take her own life, there is a chance that she might do something with these children. And actually, sorry, that's a quote from his lawyer. Um, and he also says about the grandparents that they are not blood related and that they could not be trusted with the children. And I quote, he says, the fact that they don't believe that she did this to herself, I think they're not taking it seriously. End of quote. So her defense team comes back and they basically say the ER records show that that was it was not a suicide. There was no bullet hole. But Matthew and his lawyer say that they aren't concerned with what their ER says. They're concerned and they only look at the Bureau's report. But the Bureau's report say that Jessica's dead and she's not. Kind of weird. Okay, this is the really infuriating part. If this whole case hasn't been infuriating this is gonna piss you off so one witness um jessica's neighbor wanted to speak anonymously and she's been anonymous this whole time she said that um she would like to speak in anonymously in the chambers because she's afraid which i 100 percent get judge hankinson seemed to find this like funny humorous and he says i quote I don't think I've ever seen that one before, he said. Is she going to wear a mask or... 
This is a custody case, sir. Please take this more seriously. This is not funny. This is a person that is so afraid of this person, of this whole facility, this community, that she is afraid to show her face, but she has the courage to tell the story and you're laughing about it. It's just horrible. So then Owen, the lawyer, says, I think we have a right to confront and cross-examine anyone that is going to be offering a testimony. And then Judge Hankinson says, good for you, Mr. Owen. I'm glad to know that there is still advocacy in the practice in the courts to the Griffin Judicial Circuit. The neighbor did not testify. She did not end up giving a testimony. So it's very unfortunate that she was bullied into not testifying and her fear, which was very, very understandable, um, held her back and that is... 100% understandable because imagine having to go against the police. The police are the law. Not totally, but like they're pretty darn close to it. So it is, it's a scary thing to have to say the police are not right in this situation. It's very scary. So the judge ends up pausing the court to see if attempted suicide suicide is a form of uh, child endangerment and it is not. So he dropped the order, but he gave Matthew full custody. Matthew's lawyer asked for supervised visits, and he said that um, he should allow Matthew to have a gun during these visits because he doesn't know what she's capable of, end quote. And it's just, it's like bullies, honestly. These just sound like horrible bullies, and it's so sad. It's so sad. To hear what this woman has to go through after she was attacked, she loses her kids, and she has to jump through all of these hoops. I just, I can't imagine what this is like. So every week, she can see her kids for four hours under supervision. And every week, her family pitches in $100. And you want to know why, guys? It's to make sure that Matthew isn't the one supervising the visits. Yeah. $100 every single week. That's horrible. Like, (laughs) I hope you guys feel the way I felt researching this case because I just keep getting more and more upset and thinking like, this is not real. This cannot be real. This is too crazy, too idiotic to be real. But here we go. We're still going. So Jessica was desperate at this point and all she wanted was some justice. And she wasn't the only one. Justice and Crime Watch Daily wanted to help her, so they hired a private investigator, Tim Miley. He was on the LAPD in the homicide unit for 33 years and investigated over 100 cases. And a lot of those had suicide and homicide and guns. And they had good intentions, but he just looked at, like, the pictures and there wasn't really too much he could do. So, like, I watched his, his interview and he's like looking at her hands and he's like well I wouldn't say those are pristine there's like some smudges on her and it's like it's been so long and there's nothing physical except pictures so there really wasn't much he could do in that sense except kind of like give his input and I will say though his input was pretty good because it made me like see something that I didn't see before so he had two theories the first one was that the police um and it was the one that police chose. 
it was that she killed herself and the gun went off on the way down. That's what the police were thinking. That's what the first idea was. The second theory was that there was a fight over the gun, which I did not even think of. And the gun went off and she went down as well. So the other person who was on the other side of the fight thought that she shot herself. So they put the gun under her head and just called it a day. They thought they were going to get away with it because it looked like a suicide, you know? So Detective Miley thinks that option two is the most likely case, but unfortunately only Jessica or Matthew could prove that at this point. So like I said, there's just not much he could do to help. So two months after the hearing, Jessica gets a job as a daycare worker and she does an amazing job. She is in these horrible circumstances But honestly, she's probably just so happy. She still gets to see her kids at least once a week. And that's something. So she's probably just happy about that. And she's away from him for the most part. So I just feel like she's just trying to make the most of the situation. Like I said, her co-workers are saying that she's doing a great job. And they just think it's ironic because she's a daycare worker taking care of like 10 little kids, like little, little kids. It's a daycare, but she can't even see her own kids without supervision. And actually one of the uh, workers has kids and she asks Jessica to babysit sometimes. So that's how much she's trusted, but she can't be trusted with her own kids. It's just so sad. It really is. And there in the New York article, New York Times article, there were a lot of statistics and I didn't want to take too much from it. Um, I took a lot from it, but I didn't want to take it all or too much. Um, And they had a lot of facts talking about like how um, in domestic family situations, domestic violence family situations, a lot of the time uh, the women's story doesn't really get told. And that's just crazy for me to believe. But they, I mean, it's the New York Times they're going to do their job better than me. (laughs) In December of 2016, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation closed the case saying Jessica did it. Oh, sorry. Jessica did it to herself and the evidence was her DNA on the gun. The gun that she had been lying under while she was unconscious. Unconscious. Yeah. I'll let that one sit for a second. Like, uh, what? Of course her DNA is going to be on it. It was under her body. You know, that's just crazy. So the investigated, the investigation concluded with interviews from eight co-workers of Matthew stating, stating that Matthew said that Jessica was crazy, but none of Jessica's family was interviewed. And I guess you couldn't make the case that Matthew was isolating her and she didn't really get to see her family. So I kind of get that. But it also doesn't have Jessica in it no one spoke with Jessica and it doesn't have anything from Mr. or Dr. King, the guy that assessed Jessica just doesn't seem right. So reporters tried to get in touch with Matthew, the ones that hired the, um, um, the investigator Miley. Um, yeah, sorry. I can't remember his first name. Um, to, Like they tried to um, speak to Matthew to get a statement or anything, but he does not speak. He does not respond. And they actually confronted him publicly and he did not say a word. He did not acknowledge their presence, 
which is probably a smart idea, but still, it's just so frustrating. So the same day that they physically um, confront, well, not physically, but they're physically with him and confront him and he doesn't say anything, the reporter receives an email and it says, are you an intelligent enough investigative journalism journalist to know when you are being conned? Or do you need to be spoon-fed? The devil is in the details. Show the world how smart you are and uncover what the wannabe investigative reports couldn't find out. If not, get on a plane and go home. And they were like, oh, that doesn't scare us. But then they didn't do anything else. So that was kind of odd to me because it just kind of summarized what else they did or the whole case, and then just ended. So maybe they were kind of scared. They actually did track the email back, and it was an anonymous server, so they couldn't find out who exactly sent that email. Will Sanders, another amazing person helping out with this case, was so hoping that somehow they would test, or someone would test, Jessica's divorce diary and see Matthew's DNA on it because Matthew's DNA should not be on there. And that would kind of make some kind of movement, movement, but that's not enough evidence to charge someone because maybe he did find it and maybe he put it back. It's in his house, you know? So it's just, there's everything is so thin. Nothing is concrete. It's all circumstantial, really. So it's just, it's so defeating. And like I said before, Detective Miley said that the only way something could really happen in this case if, is if Jessica gets her memory back or if Matthew is honest. So eventually, Wendell Beam was voted out of office, rightfully so, and Daryl Dix was voted to be the new sheriff. And I like Daryl. From what I could tell, he seems like a good dude. So on January 1st of 2017, he walks into his office, ready to go, probably had a cup of joe, ready to take over the world. And then he opens his office door and sees garbage bags of shredded paper everywhere. And he also sees the computers. They're just wiped. They have no information on them. And he talks to these people working in the office. And apparently it's like inmates that have really good behavior or something like that. They said that they have been working for weeks, shredding documents and cleaning like the situation or something like that. Like just shredding documents, basically. So Sheriff Dix obviously finds this puzzling, but like there's not much he can do on it. He doesn't know like it, he doesn't know if it's specific to something or not. And like I said, he seems like a good guy. He really does. And he actually um, makes a statement saying that there are still a lot of unanswered questions in this case. And they favor and make the other side, both sides seem kind of weird. Like they favor both sides and make both sides seem a little shaky. Um, he also says only Jessica and Matthew, like Detective Miley said, only Jessica and Matthew have the answers. And he also doesn't think that Matthew will give the 100% truth that they need. And that's really all he says on it, which I think is very smart. I don't think that he should say any more on it, especially because he doesn't, he wasn't a part of that case. He probably doesn't have a lot of information. He just knows what the public knows. So 
at that same time, while a new sheriff is coming in, Matthew is coming into a new relationship. And I won't say her name because she actually seems like a good girl and I don't want her a good woman, I should say. And I don't want anything like being tied together with her because I didn't really like the Courtney girl that much. <laughs> so, um, da, da, da. yeah, okay, sorry. So they move in together in 2017. So this girl is a mother and she was recently divorced. And <clears throat> she says that um, the longer she's with Matthew, the more... The more red flags she sees, basically. She says that he is emotionless, but he is very controlling. And she just, she is overwhelmed by his behavior, let's say. Um, she, anytime she went somewhere, she would have to turn on her location. Um, let's see, where was I? I lost my place. Uh, she just felt like he was trying to control everything in her life and whenever someone would bring up what happened to Jessica he would laugh and say if only she had done the job correctly or something along those lines and eventually this woman had enough and she left him thank god because like that's some scary stuff to say and she actually felt so bad that she messaged Jessica because she felt like she had to and she said that um or I guess she I should say she warned Jessica saying that he was mistreating the kids, that he would feed the kids junk food and wouldn't let them go to bed at certain times. It was so inconsistent and it just really broke her heart. And at this time, Jessica did have 50-50 custody. So I guess that's something. But she just wanted to let Jessica know, I'm guessing mom to mom, that was important for her. So I don't know how long she was in the relationship, but she did tell him. And or I should say she did tell Jessica. And as she's moving out, she finds this duffel bag and she opens it and sees Jessica's retainer in it. And she thinks that's really weird because Matthew isn't supposed to have any of Jessica's stuff. So she tells none other than Will Sanders, who offered her $120 to sneak in and steal it because recently... Jessica had filed a complaint saying that she thought Matthew had some of her stuff still, specifically a retainer. And it was such little things. And just by the way that like this case happened, it almost seemed like Jessica was like, you know what? I get to see my kids. I get to be away from him. I feel like I should win. I feel like that's a win. I, I'm happy. I just want my retainer back. Retainers are expensive. Can I just please have this back? That's how I feel this is going. And he just wants to control her so much that he can't do that. He can't give back because he needs this power still. So, like I said, the ex-girlfriend steals the duffel and gives it to Will. And Will brings it to the police department. So on... Oh, I should say this. Um, the reason why the girlfriend specifically said that this was interesting is because... Matthew gave a sworn statement saying that he had nothing, not a single thing of Jessica's. And Will knew that too. So Will took this to the police department. And on air, I should say, in May of 2017, Matthew was brought into que for questioning. Jessica and Matthew had gotten a divorce, still had a few things missing. 
And like I said, he gave a sworn statement saying he had none of her stuff. So the cops were like, that's kind of weird. Let's talk about it. So police sit him down and ask him the same thing. They're like, remember that sworn statement you gave us a while back about how you don't have any of her stuff? He's like, yeah, well, I gave her back the laptop and all that stuff. And like the big stuff. Or he didn't say that, but, like, he's mentioning, like, big things, like a laptop, you know? Like, that's huge. Like, of course, he gave it back. See? He's a good guy. He gave her a laptop back, you know? But then they pull out a picture showing the duffel bag. And he goes, well, yeah, that's Jessica's, but she let me use it to, like, work out with, like, my a gym bag. And I, didn't, I haven't really seen it in a long time. But I used to use it, and I didn't, I didn't know it was in there. It was, like, off to the side. And... The officers just were not buying it because the girlfriend said that she had seen it there before and she knew that he knew it was in there. She absolutely knew that it was in there. And at some point, it didn't take very long, but he finally admitted that he knew that it was in there. And the officer is just so frustrated. He actually leaves the room and comes back and says, I had to smoke a cigarette. So you know he's just so stressed out. And he has to do something he doesn't want to do, which I have mixed feelings about this because it's like, okay, yeah, that's your friend and you don't want to do that. Or you have to do this and you really don't want to, but there's no way around it because things were done correctly and you can't get out of this. That's how it feels to me is that if things were done differently if he would have come forward with the bag they would have just kind of kept this hush hush if somebody would somebody else would have stumbled on the bag and just brought it up and if it wasn't someone like will or jessica who was fighting against matthew maybe things wouldn't maybe he wouldn't have gotten in trouble you know so it just it's the footage is a little unsettling to me in that sense that i feel like this is something that they really 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 don't want to do and they just want to let him work and do whatever he wants so that's just my thought that's not necessarily the case I could be totally off but that's just how it felt to me so he just kept saying like oh I'm just worried about my kids I don't care about my job like I love this job but I just I'm really worried about my kids like I'm gonna lose them Jessica wouldn't take care of him right she was supposed to get them on insurance but they never did and the officer just stops him and he's just so frustrated he's like that doesn't matter if you would have just come forward none of this would have happened so he's basically implying that it would have been kind of brushed away but he didn't say that specifically and I almost think that he was saying all those things to draw sympathy because that's what he's received for a while So Matthew knew that his job was lost because he swore under an oath, he gave a written statement, and he broke those two things. And that is a big, big, big no-no as a police officer because you are held at a higher standard when it comes to those things. So that happened, like I said, in, when was that? May. And in April, Jessica... Okay, was that? Okay, sorry. Sorry. That was, I almost said sorry. What the heck? That was May of 2017. And then in April of 2018, Jessica calls the county and asks why Matthew has not been brought to the, um, to be in front of a jury. 
and they say because they can't find the document that shows he swore an oath. Hmm. Kind of weird, right? Really, really weird. So Jessica, I think, is just annoyed at this point and not taking anything. So she contacts the local reporter, not a local reporter, reporter, the local reporter, whose name was Matthew. I think that was his first name. So it was kind of weird reading that. Um, But uh, she's like, this is ridiculous. I don't know what to do. What's what should I do? So he submits an open record act to the magistrate. Yeah, magistrate's court, which that doesn't sound right, but it is right. Um, which is where they keep that information. And guys, guess what? They got a copy within three hours. And they had been looking for that this entire time. So were they really looking? Like quote unquote looking, you know. And the next day, Yates, who was the chief of police at the Griffin Police Department, told the DA that he actually had the original copy. Whoops, that's crazy. <laughs> crazy. So in July, he went to court. But he was not charged. So that's great. He later got a job as a reserve officer in Barsville, Georgia. So another town of 4,000 people. So great guys just super super great i guess this case is just so frustrating can you believe this how is he winning it's horrible (sighs) so a month prior to this case this case happened in july of 2018 a month prior in june another case that you guys might kind of remember i talked about for a second was going on and that was a case of of david gibson you remember him, you know, that horrible person that I talked about. He had 14 charges against him. 14. And he was only charged with two of those and breaking his oath. So another super fun fact about this case. Guys, when I read this, I was like, okay, I'm done. I need to walk away. Because it's like, are you freaking kidding me? The things he said. One of the uh, people said that he killed a woman with a wood chipper. One of the ladies reported that. And, okay, so I I read a little bit more. Um, And (laughs) the woman in the office said that he had killed a woman allegedly with a wood chipper. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. And that he made sexual advances towards this woman. And she was so scared of this guy because of these stories that she just let it happen. Because this guy is so scary. This can't happen. We need to fix this. Something needs to be done. I have no idea what, but something needs to be done. So again, this is all alleged because this was never confirmed. This was not one of the two charges. So allegedly, 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 I'm just stating what another woman said. Okay. Allegedly. Okay. Glad I said that. Thank you. All right. So this was his first offense. So he was given the first offender status. He was only given three years and then his record was wiped clean after he finished serving those three years. I hope you guys have that stress ball because I need it. So everyone's super pissed at this point too. Martha especially. 
So she was tired of waiting and just wanted justice. She started writing letters. She wrote one to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, to the governor, to the city manager, to the district attorney, basically pleading with them to reopen the case. Pleading. But she got no movement. And she realized that it, like, she needed connections. And she had some, but just not the right one. Will Sanders also was pretty active in all this stuff, too. But at this point in the story, he also decides to hang up his white hat, or excuse me, hang up his hat, because he was getting so stressed out and so paranoid about this because he's working against cops. He said that he would clean his car before he would go into town in case someone, like, planted something on him. And he said he was always carrying something to protect himself with like a firearm basically because he was so worried that something was going to happen and um they were actually trying to um threaten him with charges of burglary and i think it was the duffel bag that he had that lady stole uh steal so he eventually just started waving his white flag and he was like i just i can't do this anymore like i just I wanted to help her and now I'm scared that something's going to happen to me. So it's understandable, but it's just so sad. His dream though, and he still has this, his dream is that someday the FBI will come in and ask for the evidence he has. But that's all he's got. He's too afraid to do anything else. He has all the evidence locked up in a secret location. He won't tell anyone where it is, but he's just hoping that some kind of movement happens. In 2018, Jessica's oldest said that he no longer wants to see their dad because his dad hurts him. His or uh, her children were taken to a psychologist to get more help and more answers on the situation and custody was taken away from Matthew. And Pike County started to look into this and that's where um Matthew was living at the time and he denied any any accusation, any and all. And in the spring of 2019, the protective service services closed the case, saying that they recommend that the boys don't stay with him anymore. So Pike County didn't find any evidence, but the protective services said that they he shouldn't see them. And this was based off of what the psychologist said, which the psychologist said the boys expressed fear of having any potential contact with their biological father. They did not want to be with him. So now Jessica has full custody. She lives two hours north of Griffin with her fiancé, Jacob, whom she had another child with. And she just seems so happy. At first, Martha, the grandmother, was very hesitant, but eventually she started to approve of him. And it's understandable that she was hesitant after what happened. Jessica still has the old habits of, like, asking for permission for unnecessary things at her job. And her job's like, you know, you don't have to ask for that. And even with Jacob, and Jacob just kind of laughs it off and says things like, you know, you don't have to ask me. Or, like, you're your own person. You can do whatever you want. And he just seems so supportive and loving towards her. And um, they do this interview, and they're always, like, he's always, like, commenting with her and, like, making her laugh. And it's just really sweet. Jessica still struggles with those pains that she did when she first left the hospital. So a little bit of memory loss, some headaches, um, some numbness. 
but she's kind of unfortunately just gotten used to it. Um, and she actually does remember one thing is that she was putting on shoes that were in the closet because she was going to go walk the dog. She remembers that much, but she doesn't remember anything else. And you can actually see the leash on the dog in the body cam footage. So you know that's true. And she actually goes as far as to reflect on the texts more. So you know that this still bothers her, but she has a new life now. So she, I think she tries to kind of not think about it too much. But she says, humorously, she says, um, she wouldn't have made so many grammatical errors in the text. So I don't know if you remember, it said, I've had suicide thoughts. She said that she would have typed in suicidal thoughts and that she would have placed commas and periods in there in the correct spots. And she also says that she wouldn't have used the mirror metaphor where she says, um, or the texts say, looking in the mirror, I don't even recognize myself. And she goes, I don't even look in mirrors. I walk past them. I don't avoid them, but I don't look in them. And then Jacob chimes in. He's like, I don't think it was supposed to be so specific or so literal. <laughs> so it was kind of funny. But it just, it seems like even though there are a lot of unanswered questions and that someone who could have done this could be out there still, she's happy. She's got three beautiful boys and a wonderful man that loves her. And she's finally at peace and safe and able to do what she wants. And actually, a reporter asked her why she never left the apartment because she couldn't. And she's like, well, I had a playground and a pool. I didn't really need to leave. And that might be just her conditioned way of responding still, unfortunately, because that was in 2016. And this was in 2020, I believe, when she gave this report. So it really wasn't that long ago. So I just really hope that she is genuinely happy, though. That's my one hope. There is a petition going on right now, actually, though, for Justice for Jessica is what it's called. And it's basically saying that the Justice Bureau of Investigation failed to properly do the investigation and it should be handed over to the FBI. So if you feel like an injustice has been made because of this case, then you can sign that petition. I actually did sign it. So here I am. I'll link it in the notes of the show. So if you feel compelled to do that, go ahead and do it. But just take a look. It's in like where they talk about the, or where I should say I talk about the show. So um, yeah, just do that. But like I did in the last episode, I just want to put this number out there. If you or a person you know seems to be having some kind of trouble with their partner, whether that's their friend or a significant other, any kind of violence, domestic violence, it the number is 800-799-7233. And you can also text START to 88788. So guys, just keep eyes open. Always ask questions and just always be supportive. Never go too far and don't let them isolate them. That's the biggest thing that you always see is the isolation. And that's when things get really bad. So just look out for everyone and love everybody. That's the biggest thing. Well, thanks guys so much for listening to part two. Thanks for waiting. This was a really big case, but I'm glad I got it done. And I'm glad that I could get this story out there because it's just so important. Jessica, it's just, it's so inspiring to see how she is now and how she can just like be so accepting and move on and not let this haunt her forever. 
in such and I guess it probably she probably does still think about it but it didn't take over her entire life and that's truly inspirational so thank you for that if you want to see pictures on the case uh you can go to Facebook you don't want to know or Instagram YDWK podcast if you want case suggestions or have information or have stories to tell me it's ydwkpodcast at gmail.com other than that thanks so much for listening i hope you guys have a great day and bye Didn't hear you there. This is Amy. And Lexi. And we're coming at you from Confessions of Retail. All the tea. If you're a retail employee like us, then you know that there are some crazy, off-the-wall things that happen in your line of work. Join us every Wednesday while we spill all this hot confessional tea on the line of work known as retail. Everything from our own experiences to listener-submitted stories. And let me tell you, there are some crazy things that happen that even we can hardly believe. I know, right? You can find us on any major podcast directory. You can join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. And if you have hot tea to spill, you can send it our way to confessionsofretailallthetea at gmail.com. We will see you in the confessional booth.